As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I keep reminding myself that your podcast is called Provocative. So, okay, just say whatever you got to say, you know? What was my line? Do I say this is provocative? Okay, try this again. Hi, I'm Sheetal. And I'm Farheen. Every other week, we host a smileys with unique stories to tell. Welcome to Podvocative. Hello, welcome back for season two. This is so exciting. We know we took kind of a break between our two seasons, but we are so excited to be back. This season will be incredible and we cannot wait to share our guests with you. And the guests of this season all have, as usual, incredible stories, unique stories that we haven't heard enough of. And they're all stories of resilience. And that's why we thought it would be very fitting and very appropriate for the theme of this season to be resilient. We see throughout the season where these guests have lemons thrown at them and they make lemonade in the most beautiful ways. And it's so inspiring. I'm just so happy that everyone else gets to hear from them and hopefully reaches out to them and keeps in touch. Every single person that we've talked to has taught me something and has taught me a lot about resilience and strength and finding your own path. Season two on deck, it's going to be awesome and we can't wait to share it with you. To start out, welcome to our first episode of season two. We are talking to an amazing woman named Fazila. She was a doctor in the emergency room in New York City in March at the height of the COVID pandemic. She saw it firsthand, everything from the uncertainty to the deaths to all of the press and craziness. So Fazila talks a lot about that, but she also is an incredibly strong woman outside of her career. And she talks a little bit about her path toward planning to be a mother and getting married late in life and doing things like IVF. So you'll hear some of those topics in today's episode and then again later on in this season. So Fazila has so many incredible facets to her story and she's an inspiration to us. And we'll catch all of you on the other side.
Hello, thank you so much for being here. We're so excited to talk to you today. To start out, could you please tell us who you are, where you're from, what you do, and then what your favorite outdoor activity is? My name is Fazila Lalani. I am from Long Island. I grew up in Lake Success, Jamathkana. I went to med school in Albany. I live in Manhattan now. I'm an emergency medicine doctor. I actually did a TKN and I moved to Tanzania for two years and I kind of helped develop and then run the emergency department at Khan Hospital in Dar es Salaam. And I lived on the beach and I love scuba diving and snorkeling. And I just got back from Aruba and did a lot of that. That's my favorite act- outdoor activity. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being here. If you could tell us a little bit about why you're here today. So I kind of like to joke that even though I lived in Tanzania, which is a very difficult place to work with fewer resources, coming to New York and working in a pandemic was actually harder, more challenging than ever working in East Africa because of resources, but it was also one of the most rewarding experiences because this is what you sign up for, really being able to help people when they need it the most. I work in Queens, so I work right near Queens Jamathkana, which I had a smiley patient. And then since then, I've been doing a lot of similar stuff like that, Zoom educational videos for different hospitals in East Africa. And so now I get to start to talk to Jamath about what's going on with COVID and you guys. So I appreciate you having Did you always know you wanted to be a doctor? I would definitely say yes. My grandfather was a doctor. All my uncles are doctors. My dad was a dentist and he always wished he was a doctor instead. Becoming a doctor is very intensive, both academically and then the hours that you put in. What was that process like for you? And consequentially, did your personal life take a back seat? It was awful. I cried so many times. I remember when I was in med school, I hated the town I was in. And my mom, I would go home to visit my parents and cry saying, I don't want to go back. I was with my mother in a hotel and I wrote my letter resignation for med school because I was like, it's so hard. Can't do this. I'm so depressed. But my family would always just be there like, just get just do another year, just do another year, just do another year, you know. And then that one year became an internship and then a residency. And so then finally I was like, I'm going to do this. Question about did it affect my social life? Like, absolutely. I would. So I moved to Manhattan when I was right after med school and all my friends would have an active social life and be dating a lot. And I'm 40 right now. I just got married. So I definitely say it, it hurt. And so all the years I kind of wished, oh, my life's so hard. And, you know, why am I not married? I'm so old. But in retrospect, now I say, like, I'm so glad that I waited and waited to find the person that's just right. I was 37 and my mom said, what about your love life? And I said to her, I don't care. Like, I'm so happy with my work. I love what I'm doing. And whatever happens, happens. And then literally I met my husband the next. So it's really just a matter of find, you know, do what you're doing. Find the work you love. That's so sweet. (laughs) (laughs) What advice would you give to women who do feel pressured to settle down by a certain age? I froze my eggs. That gave me a security blanket or or an insurance that I have some more time. I don't have to worry about having kids and it will happen. Now that I'm married, I had a meeting with my OB and she was like, you know, you don't even need to use your eggs yet. You totally can try. Like we learned that oh my god after 35 you can't have babies but that's not true because I literally had an appointment a week ago and the lady was like oh no you don't need to do IVF you can try naturally so out the window goes that thought that after 35 you can't have a baby and then you change so much I finally feel like I know myself 
what age did you decide to do it? And what was kind of like your thought process? And what were your hesitations when you were thinking about egg freezing? So I have a sister who's much smarter than me. And so is her idea. Now I tell everybody, it's important to start sharing content with other people, telling other people what you're doing. I froze my eggs when I was 36. And it was probably a little too late. 32 would probably be better eggs. It's expensive. It's, you know, it depends on your job, what they what your health insurance, what they cover. You see the doctor for about two months, initially once a week. And by the last two weeks, you see them almost every other day because you're getting your blood work checked, you're giving yourself medications, you're getting ultrasounds. It's all doable. Like if you think about it, the end result is this insurance policy where you might have kids if you didn't, it's worth it. But it is a little grueling. You do have to give yourself injections. It is a little expensive, but it made me feel more comfortable in the dating game. And actually, I probably wouldn't have left for Tanzania if I didn't have that a little bit of that comfort to say, hey, I can wait a little to date. Did you always kind of know that you wanted to be a mother? Um, Was that something that you knew you wanted to eventually do? Or was this just kind of like a backup in case it happens, in case I get there sort of thing? For me, yes. I totally want to be a a mother like forever ago. Was marriage always part of your plan toward motherhood? Or was this ever something that you considered, you know, eventually doing on your own if, if it came to that? I've always kind of wanted to get married, but you can definitely and other smileys are doing it without getting married for sure. And, you know, is there any like advice you would give to anybody else thinking about pursuing this? Um, Anything that you I mean, I know you mentioned that maybe you wish you'd done it at an earlier age. um, But is there anything else that you would offer to anybody that may want to pursue something like this? One thing you should do for your homework is see it's just cost analysis, right? Like I kind of just went with whatever my hospital, I work at a hospital, so my I went with my hospitals. So basically different doctors have different techniques of IVF, of dethawing babies. So it's not, you know, so it's definitely doing your homework on what processes there are, what who you like, who you get along with. It's it's kind of like a dating game, finding the right person for you to, to defrost your eggs. Or A lot of people recommend doing acupuncture. And then there are a lot of supplements out there to help with fertility. So once you're going to freeze your eggs for like a few weeks beforehand or months, if you can, to start taking the supplements. Uh, folate's a really important one because it helps with decreasing your neurologic deficits. But then also there's a bunch of other ones that just help stimulate your eggs and bubbles. So why do you think a stigma exists around egg freezing and why do you think it's still not normalized and people like you said aren't like super open to share that they're doing it or that they have done it i i don't i don't get why in general we have a why we have a a culture of not sharing what we're doing behind you know even while I'm talking to you, I'm thinking about my mom. What would my mom be thinking? Oh, my God, this or not even the mom, but like my mom's friends. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe she said that. I think that's especially within the Ismaili community. We always assume that somebody's talking crap about us or and that we, we're going to embarrass our family. And that's it. I think I've just embarrassed my family enough that I don't care anymore. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. But my parents know me that like I'm very open. They let me do you know anything, which I'm really happy and lucky about. Um, and they, and they, I think they have a similar mentality, which is help other people with with your struggles. What do you think the Ismaili community or you know Ismaili programs or institutions could do better to better support? 
single mothers or women maybe struggling with fertility or women who have questions about this process. I feel like I personally, even living in um, a city and going to a Jamathkana that does a lot of great programs and has a lot of meaningful conversations, I still don't think I've really seen that much on, you know, women's reproductive health. So what do you think as a community we could do better? I do think that there's there's so many people that have greater needs, right? Have basic needs in our community that a lot of our resources go to them in a way. If you think about it, fertility is kind of a luxury. While I was on health board, I never really thought about these things because I just kind of thought about making sure that ba- people are getting their health insurance. But it's a great point that we should, that there are topics out there that we, that we need to start thinking about. What was life in your job like before COVID versus after? Um, obviously, in New York City, we were at the heart of the pandemic. Um, how did your life change from you know February to now? I just feel like my priorities have changed. Before I was planning this huge wedding, we were gonna have a thousand people. I really cared about having nice clothes and making sure, you know, I used to shop, spend way too much money on Amazon and, you know, and like anything that's accessible and available, I I kind of, I didn't think twice about just purchasing it. Um, I don't think I was like a hoarder and I, I don't think I was superficial, but probably to the, you know, to an outsider, I totally could see that, yeah, like, you don't need to have, you don't need to like think about, I thought about this, this hack would make my life a little easier. Let me buy it, you know? And, and I think that that just changed a lot to be like, appreciate what we have, make the best of what, what I already have. I don't need to, so I'm trying to spend a lot less. I also think that like, we're kind of going through two pandemics right now, right? So like, if there was no COVID, we probably wouldn't be having the talk about Black Lives Matter as much. And so I think I'm just becoming much more cognizant of my own, you know, personal biases. What was your job like when you were in the city in COVID and the highest peak? What was what was that like? In February, I went to India to go wedding shopping for like this big, huge wedding we were going to have. And so my mind was just all on, you know, pomp and circumstance. And then we came back and literally, I think 48 hours after I got to work, we kind of started hearing about this disease that was in China and it wasn't, you know, you were like, that's never going to happen here, you know, and then maybe it would happen one case in Florida when, you know, we had a bowl in America, there were four to five cases and then that's it. It never really came to New York. I just remember it was a Tuesday morning and we get a call from the ambulance. Hey, we've got a guy in this with an oxygen in the 60s. And generally that means somebody's dead. Like you can't be, 60s is way too low to be alive. And the guy comes in talking, he's wearing a suit and a, like a shirt and he was on his way to work. But he's like, oh, you know, I'm really short of breath. Let me call the ambulance. Anyway, so this guy's huffing and puffing and huffing and puffing, smart guy, no medical problems, young. He was only 59 and he was dead the next day. I had to intubate him. And the thing is, his COVID swab was negative. So that was another big lesson is that the COVID swab is only 70% accurate. So for every three people that have COVID, one person's going to have a negative test. So everybody kind of talks about how, oh, there are too many people. They're saying too many people died of COVID, but it's kind of the opposite because probably for every extra, maybe few people, they said this was because of COVID. There are a lot of people who had COVID negative swabs. So we quickly learned to treat, first of all, so our hospitals used to seeing 150 patients a day we were seeing 250 patients a day it was like we changed the whole layout of the whole 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hospital, the whole emergency department. So there was like a fast track just for really low symptom patients. And basically, the only person that could be admitted is if your oxygen was 92 or lower. So if your oxygen was 93 or 94, you had to go home. And I had a patient who was 27. He's a, you know, New Yorkers. He was a CEO of a, he was an Asian guy. He was a CEO of some company. I Googled him and he, his oxygen was 94. And so they refused to admit him. This was very early on. And so he went home and I actually, sometimes when I have patients that I'm a little bit more concerned about, I give them their, my phone numbers. And so we were texting like, throughout the week and he kept asking for more pain medicine or like can you prescribe me another inhaler and I was like listen you're having too many symptoms you should go back in and then he went back in and my shift started in the evening and he got there in the morning and he was intubated because he and he was 27 so people think this is a disease of the elderly but it's not it's a disease of young healthy smart people this guy went to Cornell you know like there's an Ismaili my age I grew up with I did Camp Mosaic with who was in the ICU for 51 days yeah, so I was saying, so we changed the whole way the ER runs. So some people would quickly get in and get out. If some, if your oxygen was 94, we'd actually like have you walk up and down the hallway and then recheck your oxygen to see if it dropped. Because if it went dropped, then we could admit you. And it, so basically the hospital looked like the walking dead. People would just be walking in their hospital gowns, sick as, you know, and you'd have one day we had six deaths. I intubated more patients in the three months of COVID than I did in my whole career. I wrote more death certificates in that three months than I did in my whole career and all ages, you know, so I would FaceTime with people and with their, like a patient with their, their family member just for my personal phone. And just knowing that this might be the last time they saw their family member was on my phone was like so hard to believe. And then you have the family members who now have my cell phone because I FaceTime with them. And so I would be keeping a few of them. I kept in touch with them and try to follow up and give them the results and I'd read on their computer how they're doing and like I just remember one day I could just tell that the patient was going to die like by his blood work by his vital signs but I wasn't his doctor and I was just wondering like I hope 
that I'm not the person that has to tell her. Like, I hope her doctor upstairs told her and that I don't have to be the one to tell her. So another thing is we saw so many patients in our small hospital for, that we had to transfer a lot. For, for a few weeks, we transferred out like 300 patients a couple of weeks in a row. One of the other people that I was following their chart, uh, I was reading his chart and they were saying in the chart that they didn't know how to get, they weren't able to get in touch with the daughter because they had the wrong phone number. And so I actually called the hospital, got the ICU, got that resident, gave them the right phone number, and then they were able, and then I could see in the notes that they actually then come, okay, talk to the daughter. And like, that was a powerful experience that it wasn't even my medicine, that, but it was just my like taking the time. I would also say that like, I just really got in touch with my faith more. Yeah, I mean, just hearing it, I feel like I have goosebumps. I can't imagine what that must have been like. And obviously, when you become a doctor, you expect to see some amount of death and illness, obviously, but that much all at once. You know, what was that like for you? What was the worst part of this mentally, physically? How did you deal with this? What I mean, I know you mentioned faith, but what changed in your life to really help you kind of cope with seeing this amount of death and and sickness, especially by so many young people, like you mentioned. So there's a lot of stuff that we know about now um, about how to treat COVID that we didn't know then. And so we made a WhatsApp group just talking about frustrations that we think this should work and we're not doing this and we want to do this. Just kind of venting. That kind of was like, you know, just like, I don't know if I, if I can curse online, but, but a, bit, a bitch fest with your friends just helps, you know? And then, you know, but I talk about the death, but the the power of, of the helping of the patients, that was so much more powerful. So the, the good outweighed the bad. We're going through this and I could be part of helping. So, you know, while you were dealing with so much hardship around you and there was so much going on. Um, I know, especially in New York City, there was such a community around COVID where people were, you know, clapping. And then, as you said, people were bringing food, you know, just the little things. What were the little lights in your life during that time? Yeah, absolutely. So one day, randomly, I posted on Facebook, you know, uh, someone wrote outside my hospital, heroes work here. And I posted that on Facebook. And I really rarely post on Facebook. And just so many people messaged me like, thank you for the work you're doing and blah, blah, you know, and then what happened from there was random people started offering to it was actually a smiley who did it first. Um, and a smiley that doesn't even live in New York anymore. Uh, her name's Rosina. And she was like, I want to pay, pay, you know, get dinner for your staff. And so she got dinner for my staff. And then I posted that on Facebook. And then just a rapid number of people just started saying, I'm going to pay. So there's another smiley's from Manhattan paid for a, for a meal. And then my high school class actually paid, you know, they all got in together. They bought us meals for like four days in a row. That was 22 years ago, mind you. And then and then some, some companies started sending us products because like the N95 mask is so so rough so I just messaged one friend also in a smiley chat and uh, she found honest smiley friends who own work at companies and they started selling face products and just being able to go around and give these out and like the community the hospital I work in in Queens is all like the nurses are also less affluent you know and so this is the first time a lot of them ever used a nice facial cream you know and that was like an amazing feeling as well, you know, and having everybody come together, eat and joke and laugh and be together. That's 
That was special. That's so sweet. And I feel like that like really shows the power of community. And, you know, like those people probably thought they were doing a small act, but it really like made such a difference. In the meantime, while all this was happening, I was writing up a like a manual on how to take care of COVID to send to the Aga Khan Hospital Dar es Salaam. And so I was communicating with these smiley is in the, in the ICU with the ER doc, like the medicine doctors, just to make sure all that content for like inpatient medicine was up to date. So they're really a part of contributing to East Africa's health as well. And the so somebody from the Africa CDC I knew at a hospital so she in Tanzania so she said hey what about doing a zoom session for Africa CDC and I said sure and that was scheduled for April 16th and I got COVID on April 12th and so I was super sick couldn't do anything it was only a 15 minute talk so my fiance at the time he took that the 20 page powerpoint that I did and he put each page on a PowerPoint slide and then I gave a 15 minute talk and then I passed out for the rest of the day <laughs> but that was amazing and then from there I did another like then I got better and I did another talk for Aga Khan Hospital Tanzania then Aga Khan like all the Aga Khan health health hospitals I think people like my talk even more because I can talk about the basics of COVID but also talk about my experience surrounding COVID and you know you'd mentioned people think it's just for old people and for people who are unhealthy what do you wish that others knew and then coming out of this how has your own perspective changed not just on COVID obviously but on medicine on your career on you know your place and your role in in the field there's all these theories about okay why do some people why did some old people young people get it and old people didn't and I don't think it matters I don't think we're going to find a reason it's a brand new disease we might find a reason 10 years from now so I don't think it's smart for us to think like let me try to figure out why I wouldn't get it or why this person got it that person got it right we don't know just do the right thing and the right thing is just to wear a mask it's so simple and so easy like all of us wear a shirt an undershirt a bra underwear that's just what you do you wear your clothes so the same this is the new clothes of the time as like d groups of doctors we always kind of talk about are people med students gonna you know do more medicine emergency medicine less emergency medicine some people are gonna shy away and then there's another people another group people that are gonna be like cowboys and be like this is the whole point of joining medicine and I want to help more so for me my perspective is that I feel even more lucky to be in a position where I can really help I want to share that with the rest of the world so that's why like my interest has always been in international healthcare. I've gone to a lot of earthquakes and then I went to Tajikistan and I want to continue that like I just feel like it's our duty as people to like pay it forward. So do you ever bring up the topic of mental health and how people should take care of their mental health if they're affected if their loved ones are affected because I feel like that can really take a toll. I just clinically I'm going to tell you that the amount of people that come to the ER and psychiatrists for anxiety has like just skyrocketed. It's definitely something that needs to be addressed much more. I totally suffered through anxiety and depression when I was going through med school, I mentioned I cried all the time. And my family had a hard time dealing with the fact that I had anxiety. My mom is like super strong woman and she just didn't believe it. She's like, just have to tough it out. You just have to be positive. Say your dua, you know, do your bandagi, you'll be fine. Think about something else. Say Hazaram's name. And I'd be like, listen, I can't get over it. And I just remember one day, I remember exactly where I was and I just screamed at my mom on the phone. And I was like, listen, your brother had a heart attack at 42. So you understand he's got cardiac disease. He's got hypertension. He needs to take his medicine. He needs to see his 
cardiologist. Why can't you accept that your daughter has depression and anxiety at 25? And I need to see a psychiatrist. I might need medications. And if you support me, I won't have the stigma behind me and I will get the therapy I need. Right. And that's like the biggest thing is that if we could just all say anxiety and depression is the same thing as hypertension. It's something that you might have and you need medication. You get the medication and you live a normal life. So I went through antidepressants three different cycles. And on the third cycle, I broke down crying because I was like, granted, I was crying a lot those times, but I just broke down crying that I didn't want to be on medication again because in my head, I was like, if you need to be on antidepressants for a third time, it means that you're never going to get off of them. And now in retrospect, that was 10 years ago that I broke down crying on the third cycle of meds and I haven't needed it since, you know? So addressing what you need at the time. Yeah, that's honestly such a powerful message. And I feel like we've touched upon so much in this short conversation from reproductive health to mental health. And I think it's all stuff that our audience, I think will benefit from. And thank you for being so open about it and so open about things that people don't talk about enough. And I think this conversation really feels validating for why we started our platform platform to bring conversations like this to the forefront. I guess to wrap up, I want to open the floor to you. Is there anything that we should have asked you that we didn't? Anything that you want to share? Well, thank you. You guys are doing amazing work. I think people are so lucky to have this outlet that you can hear stuff that that people don't talk about because, oh my God, you can't talk about that. You know, like just the fact that you're called, I keep reminding myself that your podcast is called Provocative. So, okay, just say whatever you got to say, you know? The one thing I'd like to wrap it up with is the fact that, yes, I got married. I went on a honeymoon. You could still live a normal life through COVID. You just have to make the right decisions. I don't even know that we should be waiting, waiting for the vaccine because it's just change your reality. This is a new reality, new mask, like a t-shirt, new reality of staying a little bit further away from school, learning how to do zoom just say this is okay it's okay that my wedding wasn't a thousand people and as a five is a hundred instead and see the benefits in the new world right feel like they're great things about this new world um, and then i think the most important thing is that we get out and vote thank you this conversation has been so so incredible and i feel so lucky to just have the chance to talk to you about so many so many different things so we have one last piece it's called rapid fire so we'll ask you 12 questions in the span of 90 seconds what is your favorite form of potato mash favorite holiday aruba what what's something you should do but you probably won't get around to saving more money <laughs> uh what is your go-to order at your favorite restaurant uh pad you if you were an inanimate object what would you be oh my god a light bulb <laughs> window or aisle oh definitely the window if you were famous what would you be famous for i hope it's for international health care if you could raid one person's closet whose would it be carrie washington at what age did you learn the most about yourself 37. What TV sitcom would you be a member of? <laughs> Family Matters. What compliment do you like receiving the most? Uh, thank you for your help. Last book you read? The Go-Giver. Awesome. You crushed that. Wait, that was amazing. That's only yeah. one minute and 16 seconds. Uh, that was amazing. Thank you. You guys are so amazing. I love that you're a powerful woman and you're like, we're going to change the world. We're going to help people. And you're doing this on your free time. And you're just, po- you know, you're just trying to find one. I love that you decided to do this because you were bored from COVID and that you're doing like something super powerful. This is, this is an example of what makes COVID the good sides of COVID, right? Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed and learned something from Fazila's amazing story. Just some updates for season two. We're going to release bi-weekly instead of weekly this season. That just gives us 
more time to plan out each episode and really give it the attention and the love that it deserves. So we'll see you all in two weeks. And in the meantime, catch us on our Instagram at Podvocative for some bonus content, for some interactive content um, that we'll be doing throughout. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.